Would you turn with me to the 28th Psalm? If you don't have a Bible, we invite you to take one of the black Bibles that should be in one of the chairs in front of you. We believe that this book is so important and central to us that if you don't have one, or if you don't have the version we use, and it would be helpful for you to follow along with the same version, it doesn't matter what version you have of the Bible, but if you could use that Bible, we'd love for you to keep it, take it with you, write your name in it, make it your own. We're in Psalm 28. We're going to finish the 20s of the Psalms, and then we're going to start another sermon series. So we have one more Psalm in two weeks. We'll be in Psalm 29 next week. Dan Hilliker is going to be preaching from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Psalm 28. Have you ever been encouraged when someone came to you or called you or messaged you and said something like this? I am praying for you. I guess it depends on who says it, when they say it, and how he or she says it that maximizes the encouragement or value of that message, I am praying for you. There are persons in our lives that if they say, I'm praying for you, it has great weight. There are ways in which a person can say it that expresses great love. I am praying for you. What does that mean? I hope it will mean I am taking you to the Father Almighty and I am advocating for your needs, and I'm asking that the God of all mercy will bring a special help to your life or in your particular situation. I am asking that our Heavenly Father will bless you in whatever you're going through or experiencing. Now, probably the closer the person is to God, the better it is that we think they're praying for me. Who is that in your life? Who would you run to first to ask for prayer? Hey, I'm in a mess. I am a mess. Will you pray for me? Will you take me and my problems to God in prayer and ask him for help? Is that maybe your best friend, your spouse, pastor, a parent, a mentor. Maybe it's your band of brothers at Faith Church or a dear widow who will surely pray. Maybe your sister in Christ. I wonder who that is in your life. So what if he came to you and you knew it was him, and he looked you in the eyes, and he put his recognizable hand on your shoulder and said with an unforgettable voice, I am praying for you, and that person was Jesus. Psalm 28 is a prayer a prayer for self that finishes with a prayer for others 
and intercession. It is a prayer of David praying for himself and then praying for others. It is a desperate prayer that God used in David's life, had it written down by the Holy Spirit and gave to us to teach us. And for Psalm 28, we need to learn to pray like David prayed, desperately, persistently, confidently, personal prayers to God. And my prayer this morning is that in my, is, is this, this exhortation to you from Psalm 28, pray to God, the God of David, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray earnestly like David and like the faithful saints of old in the Old Testament and pray like the Lord Jesus Christ. And Faith Church and all who are visiting this morning, Rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ who prayed for you, who prays for you today and will pray for you to the end. We need to know that someone is always praying for us. And as we look deeper at this passage, I hope you see Jesus lying under the surface So let's look at Psalm 28. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to walk you through it with the four divisions that you see on the back of your bulletin. And I I want to just work through this psalm with you this morning and seek to apply it to our lives. Psalm 28. The first two verses, we have a personal prayer. Verses 1 through 5 is a lament to God, but verses 1 and 2 is a personal prayer. To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. Now verse 3 through 5, a cry for justice. Oh, do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands. He, God, will tear them down and build them up no more. Shift. Verse 6, it's a song of praise. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart retrusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and, my, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. And then finally in verse 9, a pastoral prayer. Oh, save your people. And bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. As we go through this psalm, may we ponder in te- two things in mind. How does this psalm teach me to cry out and relate to God? And how does God relate to us, human sinners and sufferers? That's one question. And two, 
We should always be asking because this whole book is unified by one central theme. Jesus said as he walked with his disciples after he rose from the dead in Luke 24 verse 44 that that the Old Testament, the law, and the prophets, and the Psalms speak of me. Psalms are speaking of him. And so as we look at this, we should always be saying, how does this psalm draw me to the Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior? Okay, this psalm is ascribed to David. You see that at the top of of the psalm title. And although we don't know what time of life he was going through when he wrote this psalm, it is a prayer of David inspired by God, and it begins with a personal prayer, verses 1 and 2. To you, O Lord, I call my rock, be not deaf to me, meaning do, do not close your ears to me, God. I need you to hear me when I pray. I'm desperate. Lest if, now he switches it, lest if you don't speak to me, lest you're silent to me, I become like those who are dead. I die. I'm destroyed. If you don't talk to me, if you don't come near to me, if you don't listen to me, if, I just, if, I'm, if you are distant from me any longer, I will die, David says. In verse 2, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. Now, this psalm has a lot of similarities to Psalm 27. In fact, many match these psalms together, 26, 27, and 28 together when they ordered the psalms because they have a lot of similar themes. And in in Psalm 27, it's reversed. Psalm 27, it begins with rejoicing in confidence, and then it goes into lament and crying out to God for help in the midst of struggle. Now, this psalm does it reverse. It starts out with, God, help me. If you don't help me, I'm a dead man. God, if you don't listen, and if you don't talk to me, if you don't come near to me and hear my mercy, I'm a mess. And then he says, God, please do not drag me off with the wicked. And then it closes with, how could I ever doubted you? You always are near. You always will help your anointed. You will always care for me. And it sings a song of praise. But I want you to begin by just staring at these verses, pondering them with me as God's people this morning. And we must ask ourselves, what does God intend for us to learn from these verses? And one of them is simply, we need to learn to pray like this psalmist. This is how God's children learn to pray. Not with sophisticated, fancy speeches or words, but words of desperation. You hear the desperation in these verses? I mean, they're just all over there. To you, I call. Be not deaf to me. Don't be silent to me or I'll die. Hear my pleas for mercy. Hear the desperation? And he's persistent. You get, a, you get a, a sense of his persistence here because he's not just saying, I, I asked you one time. It's God, I've been coming to you and, and it seems like you're deaf to me. Please don't be deaf to me. I'm going to call out and I'm going to keep calling out to you. And yet this psalm is also very personal. God isn't just some 
distant cosmic force out there that he is reaching out to. He's a personal God, and he says in the second line of verse 1, my rock. You are my rock. You are the Lord. And we've already seen over and over again, whenever you see all capital Lord, it means the personal name of God towards his people. And it is a reminder, you are my Lord. And he prays confidently, you are my rock. This idea of my rock, it means you are strong. When anything else is not strong, you are strong. And you are strong as a place for me to run when the waters are coming and I get on top of that rock and the waters come and I stay safe. Or you are like a rock of refuge where there's a tower and a fortress on it and I go there and my enemies can't touch me. You are a rock of my salvation. And so when I need rescuing, you deliver me. My rock. That's how he prays. And we, like David, need to be fully convinced, like we see in these first two verses, that God, if you don't listen to me and if you don't speak to me, I'm a mess and I'm done. We need to have that kind of desperation, do we? Do we believe that God listening and speaking to us, specifically through this book, is more important than anything else? It's more important than anything we consider valuable to our security or our satisfaction. God, I need you. This morning, I pray that we would leave with a hunger more to say, God, this week, I need you to desperately help me. David says, hear my pleas for mercy. Do not be silent. Oh, what we need is God's mercy. Mercy means... First, in some ways, it means that I am an undeserving sinner. I need to be forgiven of my sins and have them absolutely cleansed. But it also means that me, a sinner, you, a sinner, who does not deserve to be in any place of favor before God, we need God's favor upon us. We need his mercy to come and meet our need we live in a broken, fallen world, and I know that either you, all who are sitting in this room, are going to experience or are experiencing difficult people or difficult circumstances in your life, right? You're, going to, you're either are experiencing them or you will be experiencing them in the soon. And we, when we, we need God's mercy and help to deal with those in a way that shows his compassion and brings us out of what we feel is a helpless state. Do you seek God's mercy daily? Lamentations 3.22 says, they, his mercies and his steadfast love are new every morning. They are fresh and full of custom-made design to help you, an undeserving sinner who has been rescued by God, to help you meet all of the challenges that you face at work or school or with friends or with family or with children or with your parents and with yourself. 
his mercies. And David says, I cry to you for mercy. Sadly, we are far too often ready to seek a hundred different things or people before we seek God when we are distressed. We get worried, anxious, or discontent, and we have not made the Lord our God, who is our steadfast refuge. We don't seek him for mercy. Like, Like David, we as Christians must know and pray with a desperation, urgency, persistency, intimacy, that God in you is my hope. And if you don't come through, I have no backup plan. God, I have no safety net from you. You are all that I have ultimately. God, help me. To you, I cry. And God alone, O oh my soul, I wait in silence for you, as Psalm 62 says. I wonder what it's for you right now. What are you distressed about? Like David, are you surrounded by people? We're going to see these in the next verses. Are you surrounded by people, evil people, who are making your life really difficult? You might be. God knows this. God's not surprised. Are you experiencing something at work that just is so unfair, so wrong? Something maybe with your insurance that is so frustrating and it is not, doesn't make sense and you're angry about it. Or something at home, your parents are not seeing things clearly or your children just aren't getting it. Are you distressed with wayward children? Your heart is broken because they've turned away from God and they're showing no heart for God, no visible fruit. So you cry out to God for mercy. And maybe it's mental illness of some kind that no one else can understand. It afflicts you and it's devastating. You feel lost in life. What is my place? I'm spinning my wheels. Where should I go? What should I do? Or you're brokenhearted or anxious about relationships or money or health. Or sin has just devastated you. This psalm and the psalms, God's word says there is a God who wants you and know he calls you and to call on him personally and persistently to seek him and he hears and he will answer. He wants you to call with a desperation. There's no other hope but God and God alone. Teenagers, God calls you at this age. If you are saved, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you, gentlemen, you men and women, young men and women, are called in your life to follow Jesus and to make it your first and primary duty to seek him all of the time for his mercy. Learn from the psalm how to pray. Pray and wait on the Lord. Wait upon him. Seek him. Remember the last verse of last chapter? Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Wait on the Lord. Don't despair or give up. Keep seeking the Lord. But I want you to see Jesus in this passage. Can you imagine Jesus praying the Psalms and praying this in the Garden of Gethsemane? God, unless this cup, would you you cause this cup to pass my way? But if not, your will be done. It says he wept great 
tears of blood as he agonized over the idea that he was going to go to the cross, not just to suffer pain, but to endure the full weight of our sins and our redemption. Jesus saying to the Father, to you, O Lord, I call, be not silent, lest I become like those who go down to the pit. Dear Father, please help me. Do you know Hebrews 5, 7 makes it very clear that Jesus in this life prayed this kind of psalm. It says in Hebrews 5, 7 that in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. And he was to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. When we see this Psalms, we need to remember that Jesus fulfilled this in a great way as the great king who came to the earth with a mission, following the Father, and he obeyed, and he cried out to the Lord, and he shows us the way. But secondly, I want you to see this cry for justice in the next few verses. See verses three through five? These are the kind of the dark contours of this psalm. They're the kind of words, they're the words that are, are difficult. Verses three, verse three, he says, do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their heart. Here we have this lament. David is saying, he's pouring out his heart and saying, please give justice. He's saying, there are people that are accusing me and linking me with them, and they are speaking peace with one another, but really they're scheming evil in their hearts. Their motives are not pure. They are actually evil, and they want to destroy. It could have been Saul who was going after David. It could have been his son Absalom. It could have been some other treachery that's going on, and yet he is under attack, and he prays God Please do not drag me off with the wicked. I have sought your face. If it's true for God, it is true for God, David, God's king, and it's true for Jesus, God's king and Messiah, it will be true for all of us in our lives that we will face injustices and we will be with wicked people and in their wicked systems. And the answer for us as we live in the midst of a world surrounded by people who are unfair and wrong and wicked and they're hypocritical, they're saying they're one thing, but they're actually two-faced and they're liars and they're just wanting their own way, we will live in that kind of world. The answer isn't to be bitter. It isn't to wallow in self-pity or despair. It is to call upon the name of the Lord. David cries and he says, do not let me be counted with the guilty and the punished. Do not drag me away with them when it's time to judgment. Please count me as I've sought you faithfully. In verse 3, we see David saying, they speak peace, they're hypocrites. They speak peace with their neighbors, but inwardly in their, they have evil in their hearts. You realize this psalm, verse 3, reminds us that God knows and cares about the intents of your heart. He knows when you're real and when you're fake. Hypocrisy will someday be revealed. All of us struggle with hypocrisy. That doesn't mean we're hypocrites. Christians are people who sin with hypocrisy all the time and then feel convicted about it, repent, and look to Jesus. We desire to follow Jesus, but we find ourselves often doing what we shouldn't do. 
And we act hypocritical and we should confess that. But a hypocrite is someone who intent is to deceive, to make them look good. But really their heart is all about themselves and not God at all. And David is crying out to God for justice and for mercy. Friends, we've seen this through the Psalms and we see this in the Bible. God will righteously discriminate between the righteous and the wicked. He is not blind, nor is his justice imperfect. It is completely right and good. We live in a wicked country. We live in a society that mocks the things of God and celebrates sin, sometimes at a level of insanity. On one side, we have celebrities that we love to be entertained by, and yet they call evil good, and they call good evil. They mock and do mockery to the, God's glorious plan of sexuality and the distinction of genders, and in movies and entertainments, they explicitly mock God's ways, and even outside of their art, they advocate for what is evil. And then on the other side, we have many who say they hate the views of the progressive left in that agenda and embrace a false savior of politician and constitutional rights as that's the way that we put our trust in. And neither of those are the answers of the Christian. We look wholeheartedly to the Lord Jesus Christ and we submit to him. And we plead his grace, his mercy, his justice. The righteous are those who are made righteous by the mercy of God. And they bow to him. And in these verses, David is saying, God, you're going to judge. Please do not let me be counted with those who are wicked and be judged with the wicked. I have sought your ways. God, you truly will judge them for their works. Their works are rebellious. They have not regarded your laws or your ways. They have not seen your good. They, they saw your goodness and they didn't give credit to you or give thanks to you in any way. But they have gone their own way. And this psalm teaches us that God will bring judgment to those who are evil and he will not ignore the injustices done to God's people. Friends, our only hope in the midst of injustice, and you will experience injustice, is to remember this God and more specifically to remember Jesus. Look to Jesus. For a time... I want you to ponder this. Before a time, Jesus, like verse 4, was dragged off with the wicked. He was crucified between two guilty thieves. He was numbered with transgressors. Why? For our redemption. Jesus experienced evil men who spoke peace with his neighbor, but inwardly they were lying and deceiving and seeking to trick and destroy Jesus. Whether it be as he, as he healed and forgave the paralytic and they said, ah, he's evil. He can't do this. He's blaspheming God. Or they accused Jesus of being of Satan. Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. He knew what was in people. He knew their hearts. John 2, 24. Our hearts do not naturally trust and worship God or love him. Jesus came into a world and 
he was dragged off with sinners and destroyed on a cross. David prays, don't let that happen to me. Jesus will come and maybe pray that, but he knows that in obedience to God, he's going to be dragged off onto a cross, and he's going to be dragged in the middle of enemies and sinners, and he's going to be crucified as a criminal. And he would do it in obedience to the Father in order to be our redemption and to be our Savior. Jesus was dragged off with evildoers and was killed, and so we who... He was, he was dragged off and killed so that we who deserve to be dragged off and judged would be forgiven. Oh, friends, remember the gospel. I know that in a, in, a, in a meeting like this, most of you have received and accepted the good news that you are so bad that you could never save yourself, but that you needed someone else to rescue you and be your deliverer, and that one is God through his provision of sending his son, Jesus Christ, the perfect savior who came into the world at Christmas, came and lived for 33 years, preparing for one object to obey the father, to go to the cross, to die as a perfect sacrifice, to pay for undeserving sinners just like you and me, that if we would repent of our sins and believe on him and what he did on the cross and raise from the dead, that we would be forgiven completely from our sins. And believe, and he would come into our heart and change us and make us his new people. Now, I know that most of you know that, but do we know that? And I know that there are some here that, though you may have heard those words and kind of know that, there's still a knowledge that's still needed in your life, and that is a wholehearted trust in that reality of what trust in the Lord Jesus Christ in which he comes and he becomes to you your Savior, your Lord, your forgiveness, your, your right standing before God someday when you get judged. David prayed, don't let me go with these, and it dragged off with the wicked. Jesus obeyed the Father and went off and was destroyed with the wicked and was rescued. Now, I want you to see the turn in verse 6 through 8. It's a song of praise in which we see, Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength. He is my shield. In him my heart rejoices and I am helped. My heart exults and my Song, I give thanks to him. The Lord is my strength. He is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. You see the worship in these verses. David goes from, God, I need you to help me. I'm in a mess. I'll die if you don't help me. Please bring justice to the wicked. To a shift in verse 6. Blessed be God. He is my, he says, my strength. He is my shield. He is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge. He hears my pleas for mercy. He already heard it. And he is, I am helped by him. And my heart exalts. It may take a long time. But those who wait on the Lord get to these verses in your life. Even if it's on the day in which you enter into the presence of the Lord. 
praise and thanks visits the hearts of God's true people. Because God brings rescue and salvation to them. We don't know if David's circumstances changed and he wrote this after the fact and he's telling the story or if in the midst of this writing this psalm, God gave him an answering touch and he said, I, I know God's going to help me. He's going to be there and he praises God for answering and hearing his cry. God is an answering God. He listens and he is not silent to his people even though it will feel like that for a time as it was for David. Brothers and sisters, when the Lord's greatness and goodness and glory and grace is seen by his children, they rejoice, they enjoy strength, and they have the freedom of a courage that is only found in the Lord. David says, my strength is in God. You are my strength. It's the kind of strength that is really tired physically, maybe, but says, I'll take tired and a confidence in God's help any day. I will take weakness and brokenness with the strength and grace that God supplies. And so the psalmist David and God's people with him are the people that says, I cried to the Lord, and he answered. And he answered to me, and all things aren't better, necessarily. David, until the day he died, he seemed to have struggles up and down, difficulties, both with his own sin and with enemies. And yet he could say, the Lord is my strength and my shield. He protects me. God is so great. I don't have to be in control because he's in control. God is so good. I don't have to seek satisfaction in anything else. I seek it in him. God is so glorious. Oh, how foolish that I was to seek the glory in man and fear them. I seek the glory of God and he is always good. God is so gracious. He has been my rescuer and my redeemer, so I seek him. The Lord Jesus Christ is our rock. He is the saving refuge. Fill your name in the blank. He is the saving refuge to Daniel. He is the saving refuge. You could say your own name if you're looking to him. Jesus is the ultimate game changer to any threat to our well-being. Changes everything. Jesus is... Our strength, you're weak. I'm weak. We are feeble and frail and in ourselves, incapable to face the spiritual, emotional, and relational difficulties that we will experience in our lives, but that doesn't matter because God is so big and he comes to us in Jesus Christ who is our strength. He is our strength. If you feel too weak this morning to do what God wants you to do, 
If you feel too feeble to handle the trials and the distress and the difficulties that you're facing, you are posed in a position that is perfect for God to display his strength in you. Be strong in the Lord. Being strong in the Lord means recognizing that none of our strength originates with ourselves but comes from him. As Isaiah said, God says through Isaiah, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths faint and are weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait on the Lord, he'll renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Paul said in the midst of his affliction in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I was so afflicted, I despaired of life itself. Sounds like David. I despaired of life itself. But all this struggle was to teach me to not rely on myself, but on God who raises the dead, that kind of power. Note the direction of this psalm. It goes from suffering to rejoicing. It goes from suffering to singing. And that's the order in this life. That was the order of Jesus. Suffering and then rejoicing. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Now he's experiencing joy at the Father's right hand. He is highly exalted and he's been given a name that is above every name. And he is bringing people to himself. And he's brought us to himself. This is the way of the master. For Jesus, he prayed for justice and mercy. And, he, it, and that justice and mercy came through his own death. And that might be true for our lives. Not that we will redeem our lives like Jesus redeemed it. But sometimes the deliverance that will come is at our death and we continue to wait on the Lord. I want you to see the last verse of this psalm. Look at verse 9. The psalm end, psalmist ends with what I called or labeled a pastoral prayer. Oh, save your people. Bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. What's David doing? He's turning. And after praying for himself and for his rescue and worshiping God, he says, oh God, now do that for the nation of Israel. And as David turns to pray, even more does Jesus for us pray. I... As I studied and pondered and meditated on this passage, I, just, I can't help but to be reminded that as we read this entire book, we see one of the most astounding truths ringing in the New Testament. David was first, he was the first David, but there was a greater David that came, and that was Jesus Christ. David suffered and prayed for himself. G David suffered and prayed for the people of Israel. Jesus came and suffered himself. He suffered a much greater purpose, and he died on the cross for us. But he also suffered, and he prayed for the people of God. Read throughout the New Testament. But I point you to something that's so glorious. As David prays, and he says, Oh God, would you save your people, and would you bless your heritage? Be their shepherd and carry them forever. 
as David prays out of the joy of his heart, save your people, he prays with an intercession to God for them, saying, God, now extend the blessings to them. He says, be their shepherd and carry them forever. Friends, Jesus does the same for us. Jesus says, Father, be the shepherd to your people and carry them, those whom you've purchased with my blood. Would you shepherd them forever and carry them to the end? And the Father says, yes, and you will be that shepherd. You are the good shepherd. Jesus is, says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will not perish. No one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. What confidence and what courage. But what this means, what I, what I, we see appearing regularly in the promises and goodness of the New Testament is that this King Jesus, who, yes, he is our Savior, yes, he is our rescuer, and yes, he's our shepherd, he is our advocate before God the Father. He prays for us. I'm praying for you. Oh, that's an encouraging thing. Far more encouraging to know Jesus is praying for you. Hebrews 7.25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God. Is that you? Have you drawn near to God through Jesus Christ? He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for us. He always lives to intercede for us. The word intercedes to pray on our behalf. When some of the most beautiful promises is found in Romans chapter 8 when he says, who shall separate us from the love of God? He says this first, who is to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. My exhortation to us this day. Pray to God, the God of David, and the the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and pray earnestly to him. And rejoice that the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, prayed with that type of desperation, and God heard him, and answered him, and sent him to be the redemption of all his people namely you. And this Jesus hasn't stopped his work for you, but right now is praying for you, is praying for this pastor, is praying for your your continuance in the faith, your fight against sin, because all sin is about unbelief in God. pride. He is praying for you and guiding you and he will never leave you or forsake you, but will he ever lives to intercede for us. I, I can't think of something that tops 
the glory and the grace and the greatness of that for undeserving people like you and me. It should make us say, blessed be the Lord. Worship team, would you come and let us sing, let us praise of God of the amazing grace that he has given to us. Oh God, to you I call our rock. Be not deaf to us. Lest if you be silent to us, we'll be like those who go down to the pit. God, hear our cries for mercy, O Lord. Hear them. Come and rescue us and help us. Thank you that you are our shield and our salvation. Would you glorify the name of Jesus Christ in our lives today? I pray that you would give us faith in his grace, your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.